You're listening to the podcast Water X Future, presented by Aquaporin, a water technology company based in Denmark. Aquaporin works to preserve one of our most valuable resources, water, by combining advanced bioengineering, open innovation, and circular thinking. In this podcast, we talk to experts about water and all the opportunities and dilemmas it contains, technologies rooted in nature, the purpose of innovation, and the spectrum between science and humans. Welcome. Hello, my name is Ono Sullivan, your host, and the person conducting the interviews is Meta Milgard Henriksen. In the last episode, we talked about trends in food and beverage technology, where we took a closer look at some of the most sustainable and innovative ones. Today, we'll talk about PFAS, or PFAS, which for decades have been used in various industries. Now, we are facing the consequences of the widespread use of industrial chemicals, contaminating our groundwater and seeing the effects it has on the human body. It is estimated that 99% of the world's population has PFAS in their bodies from polluted drinking water. But what exactly is PFAS? Why are they causing so much concern? And what can be done to solve this problem? These are the questions we'll try to answer in this episode. To understand the PFAS problem, we'll talk to Elizabeth E. Clusen, Professor in Toxicology at Copenhagen University. We'll also talk to Dr. Jonathan Claymark, Senior Chemicals and Business Advisor at Chemsec, the International Chemical Secretariat. That's almost all people on Earth who have PFAS in their bodies from polluted drinking water. Maybe you aren't familiar with the word PFAS, but for sure you've come across them. Well, PFAS is a shortening for per- and polyfluoroalkyl substances, a class of more than 4,000 different chemicals, also known as forever chemicals. PFAS have been used in commercial products since the 1940s. They can be in products such as clothing, furniture, food packaging, cooking materials, electrical insulation, and firefighting foam. These long-lasting chemicals, components of which break down very slowly over time, are widely used throughout society and found in the environment. They resist degradation when used and also in the environment. Most PFAS are easily transported in the environment, covering long distances from the source of their release. They have been frequently observed to contaminate groundwater, surface water and soil. Cleaning up polluted sites is technically difficult and costly. If releases continue, they will continue to accumulate in the environment, drinking water and food. We've chosen to call this episode the PFAS problem. From Fenu to Flint. Fenu is an island in western Denmark. Flint is the largest city in the state of Michigan, USA. Both places have been covered intensively by the media for having increased levels of PFAS in drinking water, creating a risk for the inhabitants who drink polluted water directly from the taps in their homes. And this is what we'll dive into in this episode. Because how concerned should we be? And what can be done to avoid PFAS polluting our groundwater? To get the overview of the PFAS problem, we'll first talk to Lisbeth E. Clusen, Professor in Toxicology at Copenhagen University. Lately, 
She's appeared in Danish media to comment on the PFAS problem. In Denmark, we've always been proud of our groundwater, as Denmark is one of the few places where you drink untreated groundwater. You just pump up the water from underground, oxidize it, and send it out to the inhabitants so they can drink it directly from the tap. However, last year, there was found too high a levels of PFAS in the groundwater in several places in Denmark. According to the article in Danish media TV2, all Danes can potentially have been affected by PFAS. Currently, 15,000 places are suspected of being PFAS contaminated. One of these places is Fenu, a small island on the west coast of Denmark. On Fenu, all drinking water is contaminated by forever chemicals. This has forced people to buy bottled water from the supermarkets. Let's hear what Elizabeth E. Klusen has to say about the situation on Fenu. What happened? How concerned should we be? And what can be done to improve the situation? Hi, Lisbeth. Thanks for joining us in this episode of the podcast. Before we'll start talking about PFAS, will you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yes, uh, I'm Lisbeth Knudsen. I'm professor in toxicology at University of Copenhagen. I have worked within the government for more than 40 years in different uh, research institutions and, and other uh, institutions. And I have been engaged with human biomonitoring for all my research career. And in this episode, we're zooming in on the PFAS problematic, polluting the groundwater. Can you first help us understand where PFAS actually come from? Well, it's a PFAS uh, is not a natural compound. It's an industrial produced compound with very efficient technical properties in water repelling. And that's why it was used for, for many purposes frying pans, raincoats, but also for fire extinction and uh, as a part of, of many kinds of products. It was developed in U.S. by the 3M company, and uh, that was where the most of the production initially took place. It has then also put up some sites in Europe and elsewhere. As toxicologists, we actually became aware of this substance 30, 40 years ago because we were very astonished we could find it in ice bears in the Arctic. How did it arrive there? <laughs> and it comes down to the chemical structure of the PFASs because it's repellent and it's relatively big. It binds to proteins. It can be uh, transported in the environment. At that time, they were concerned about liver toxicity, but more has come to their attention. And you're one of the experts often appearing in Danish media talking about PFAS. Why are we suddenly talking so much about it? Well, I wouldn't say suddenly, but it's, we have known, as I said, for decades that these substances were not healthy to the environment or to humans. But we have now discovered very large exposures at very high levels in, in some populations. And we have also associated these exposures with some adverse health effects, such as uh, effects on the liver, uh, on the cholesterol balance, on the immune system. And we are very much uh, aware about the risk for pregnant women and their fetuses and their children. 
And maybe the reason why I said suddenly is because there have been some cases lately in Danish media where you have also been interviewed. And one of them is Fane, a Danish island in western Denmark, where inhabitants had to buy bottled water because too high levels of PFAS were registered in the groundwater. Can you talk about what happened here on Fane? Well, it actually started in Korsør with coincidentally finding of PFAS in the uh, meat of cows grassing in an area that uh, was uh, drained from from a site where they have used uh, PFAS in fire extinction. And that made us all aware, especially the uh, authorities, that this, this might be a problem elsewhere in Denmark, especially at sites where they had uh, exercised with the fire extinction. And that is actually the case close to Fanu. That's why they took water samples and discovered that the levels were far higher than uh, allowed. We have some uh, limit values set by, by our environmental uh, protection agency. And the only advice you can give if, if the um, safety levels are exceeded is to find less uh, ex- exposed water sources. And that's why people turn to bottled water. In other instances, you might also find other drainings where you could get your uh, water, hopefully at lower pollution concentrations. But I don't think that was possible in Fainu because it's uh, because of the geology and the, the site. And that's why people had to uh, go to bottled water if they wanted to uh, lower their exposure. And do you think this is something that will happen more and more in the future, that we have to drink bottled water instead of our groundwater, which in Denmark is quite good? Uh, Well, we hope it's quite good. (laughs) I have been claiming that it was one of the world's best for many years. But the minute you start measuring, you find many compounds. But that's also the case for bottled water. And for bottled water, you may also have some extra from the bottles. I prefer to keep for the uh, groundwater, the drinking water, but you have to control and uh, don't use sources that are polluted like in in Fainet. But it's not a good idea going to bottled waters for all of us. This is because water has different contents and you will not benefit from these differences if you only stick to bottled water. You you will not uh, benefit from that difference in water taste if you only stick to bottled water. And we also find some of the, these compounds uh, health bringing, maybe not at a large scale, but uh, you have some minerals that are present somewhere and not elsewhere. And you've talked about consequences for the liver and especially for women who are pregnant or who are breastfeeding, but how concerned should we be? Well, initially, when I heard about these high levels also in Denmark, I was very concerned because we should have a zero exposure to these compounds that uh, in animal studies and also in big studies of human populations have demonstrated effects on, on immune system and, and uh, liver effects. And uh, for, for the uh, pregnant women, we know that the su- substances are transported to the feces and if they uh, breastfeed, it's also transported to the, to the child. And since we know these compounds are disturbing the hormone system, they will also disturb the uh, natural development of the child. And that's why we are, we are concerned. But it's always a matter of dose. And I would say 
in case you are exposed and exposed about the limits, then you should be concerned. But for full population, I think we we will have to tolerate that we don't have fully clean environment. Now you say that we should be concerned if we're exposed to too high levels, but me as an individual with no expertise in this, how do I know if I'm exposed to too high levels or not? Well, you have to rely on what is uh, announced by your local authorities because they are now obliged to make measurements of the drinking water. And for producers of meat, eggs, vegetables in areas that might be polluted, like cows grassing in, in polluted areas, it has to be declared. But what I'm saying is you really have to rely on the authorities controlling your, your sources. And in some instances, uh, you may not have access to such kind of data, or you may have a very strong suspicion you have been exposed. And this is where human biomonitoring by testing in a blood sample may become relevant. And that's what we are discussing in our expert group. Because the ones of us coming from the research area, we are very much uh, accustomed to do blood sampling and analyzing and handling data on exposures and health effects on a group basis. That's why we can tell you that it disturbs the immune function. We know that from big studies. But when it comes down to individual interpretation, it's much more complicated. But on the other hand, if you don't have the other sources of uh, knowledge of exposures, the only way to know whether you are exposed would be to have a blood sample taken. So now we've talked a lot about the PFAS problematic in Denmark, but it's not just a Danish problematic. It's also a problematic, I would guess, all over the world. And we're also talking about Flint in Michigan in the US in this episode. In your opinion, has enough been done to solve this problem? No, as I said, we already became aware of these substances decades ago. And I would say uh, around 2000, Uh, there were people warning the authorities that we ha were having these substances in the environment. And it took very long until action was taken. We had some incidents in the U.S. where the population in the valley where the uh, substance was produced, they, they, had, they were suffering from uh, diseases like the ones I have mentioned. Cancer has also been on stake. And we had parallel examples in uh, Veneto in Italy, in um, Dürendrecht in Holland, and in uh, a site in Belgium, in Austria, and very close by in Sweden, in Ronneby. They had been using the substance in, in the fire extinction exercise uh, places where the uh, substances just drained down into the gr uh, groundwater and people got very much highly exposed. And it was coincidentally found, but it has been followed up with studies of, of these uh, populations, and they they had to get water from other supplies. So I would say we have known this for quite some time, but when it popped up in Denmark, the authorities really uh, got aware that they didn't know anything about the uh, extent of uh, exposure, and they started uh, mapping sites And currently they are naming 15,000 sites, which is very many. 
So what would you recommend the authorities to do to combat this problem? What can be done? The main exposure route is via water, via intake and meat. But you can also absorb, absorb the substances via skin and inhale them. But that's mainly for occupations like fire extinction workers and, and production team. Uh, one of the uh, items that is very much discussed is the uh, catch of uh, freshwater fish by anglers. And they are actually advised to put them out again and don't eat them. Because we know from new Danish studies, but also very many studies in Germany and Austria, that those fish, freshwater fish, are highly polluted and would really contribute to a load in the person. And the reason why the load is, is so high is that the, the compounds are persistent and they are excreted very slowly. And as I'm producing this podcast for Aquaporin, I know that the company has developed a filter which can filter out PFAS. Should we all invest in water filters in our homes to be sure that we drink clean water from the No, tomorrow? not all of us. But uh, at, at highly exposed sites, it would be recommended. But, but uh, uh, water contains so many other substances and you never know whether the filters will catch those, giving the taste and the flavor of the water uh, being very beneficial. So, But in uh, cases of pollution, well-known pollution, please use a filter. So just to wrap up the interview, now we've talked about the problem and also what the authorities are doing. And as you say, they are doing more and more so they are trying to solve this problem. Do you think that we are going to solve this problem or is it impossible to solve? We will never get rid of all the PFASs that are in present in our environment, but we should contain the sources. And I, I'm pretty optimistic that uh, th things will be done to contain the sources and, and minimize the uh, pollution and the exposures. We have to rely on the authorities taking care of it. Good. That made me a little bit more calm that you said that. Thanks for taking your time to talk about the PFAS problematic. Let's hope that we'll be able to still drink the groundwater in the future. Yes, I fully agree. Thank you. As Lisbeth E. Klusen says... Toxicologists actually became aware of the PFAS problem many years ago, to be more precise, 30 to 40 years ago, where they were astonished when PFAS were found in icebergs in the Arctic. So how concerned should we be? Well, according to Elizabeth E. Clusen, we should be concerned. But it's always a matter of dose. In case you are exposed to PFAS and above the limits, you should be concerned. And in this case, water filters can be a solution. For example, Aquaporin has developed filters, which are based on the Aquaporin Insight technology. Water from various sources that would normally go directly to the tap is sent to the Aquaporin Insight purifier, where removal or reduction of bacteria, viruses, pesticides, PFAS and other substances occurs. What comes out of the tap is clean, fresh drinking water, filtered by nature. But for the most of us, unfortunately, we have to tolerate that we don't have a fully clean environment. Even though we'll never get rid of all PFAS, Lisbeth E. Clusen stays optimistic. Things will be done to minimize PFAS pollution, and we have to rely on the authorities to take care of this.
mistrust in drinking water has been supported in recent years by reasonable doubts towards the quality of tap water. Cases of large companies polluting water sources to dispose of their waste multiplied across Europe and the US in the past decades. Flint, the largest city in the state of Michigan, USA, is probably the most notorious case internationally. The water crisis, described as Michigan's biggest environmental crisis in 40 years, began in 2014 when the city switched its drinking water supply from Detroit system to Flint River in an effort to save money. Inadequate treatment and testing of the water resulted in a series of major water quality and health issues for Flint residents. Issues that were chronically ignored, overlooked and discounted by the government officials, even as complaints mounted. That foul-smelling, discoloured and off-tasting water piped into Flint homes for 18 months, causing skin rashes, hair loss and itchy skin. It is estimated that PFAS may be tainting more than 11,000 sites around Michigan, causing a rising crisis across Michigan and the country. In the next interview, we'll talk to Dr. Jonathan Claymark, Senior Chemicals and Business Advisor at Chemsec, the International Chemical Secretariat. Chemsec is an independent non-profit organization founded in 2002 in Gothenburg, Sweden, which aims to speed up the transition to a world free of hazardous chemicals. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for joining us in this episode of the podcast. Will you introduce yourself to our listeners? So my name is Jonathan Klemark and I am a senior chemicals and business advisor at Chemsec. Um, so I have a background as a PhD in organic chemistry. And uh, at Chemsec, I try to uh, use that knowledge uh, in regards to understanding chem- how chemicals work and why they are safe or uh, not safe. Chemsec's work aims to speed up the transition to a world free of non-toxic chemicals. Can you, in more words, explain to us what Chemsec does? Yeah, I can try to. Uh, so our aim is, as you said, to push towards a reduced use of hazardous chemicals. Uh, but we, we do that in a few different ways. Uh, so we work with legislators, uh, with policy work, where we try to influence uh, the policymakers. And what we want to do with them is to bring a positive viewpoint with examples from the business world of successful companies with progressive chemicals management. And we want also to bring our expertise to all different forums uh, for and stakeholders like the within reach the European chemicals legislation. And in addition to that, we work with companies and we support companies in their transition towards better chemical management. And from that, we highlight the, the positive examples from this world. And thirdly, we also work with investors uh, where we try to identify and inform investors of the financial risks and opportunities uh, within chemicals uh, for chemical companies. So that's that's a short version of what we try to do. And we'll get more into depth with uh, the work of Chemsec later. This episode focuses on PFAS, which is a serious threat to our health and the environment. How is uh, Chemsec driving the development of more progressive chemicals legislation and pushing businesses towards the transition to non-toxic alternatives? Yeah, I can try to give you a few examples. Um, So we work with businesses, as I said, and we try to be a bit concrete in our support. Uh, So we have a set of different tools that companies can use uh, in this work. So we have something called the SIN list, substitute it now, uh, list of chemicals uh, that we think should be banned, uh, that fulfill the criteria for being regulated within EU and therefore should not be used by companies. 
And aside from that, we also have Chemsec Marketplace, uh, which is our online platform for safe alternatives uh, to hazardous chemicals. And that's a way of, I mean, the Synlist is a way of showing what not to use. And with the Chemsec Marketplace, we want to show companies and support them in what to use instead. We have the, the Chemsec Business Group, uh, which is a group of companies that we work with, like H&M, IKEA, Apple, Dell, and Lego, uh, for example, uh, where we try to discuss with them and understand challenges within their chemicals management. We have PFAS movement uh, concerning uh, exactly PFAS chemicals, uh, where we support companies that want to phase out these chemicals or have phased them out. And then we bring all of these experiences and things with discussions and we have uh, from all of these forums to the legislators um, because we need, we want these, the experience from this business world and from these tools that we have. Uh, and we try to then influence the, the policymakers in our policy work. So that's how we try to to support businesses uh, toward working towards better and more progressive chemicals management. Chemsec was founded in 2002 in Gothenburg in Sweden. And in this episode, we've mostly focused on the PFAS problem in Denmark and also in Flint in the US. What are the PFAS problems in Sweden since Chemsec was founded here? Uh, in Sweden, we also have problem with PFAS, both regarding contamination in the environment, but also a lot of health issues from uh, PFAS. Um, in the environment, we have as many others problem with the uh, sites where firefighting foams has been used a lot, like airfields and uh, um, where the military has have training grounds, for example. Uh, in Sweden, we have a, uh, a recent court case uh, in Kallinge in the south of Sweden. Uh, concerning PFAS contamination of uh, the drinking water. Um, regarding human health, we have seen there is Sweden has been very good in doing studies. Uh, so university and academia have done a lot of studies on in Sweden regarding PFS, PFAS. And we also have, I've read just recently before summer, there was a study regarding uh, concentration of PFS in, in blood in Europe, uh, where Sweden actually had the highest concentration of PFS uh, for teenagers' uh, blood. I think that France and Norway was second and third. Uh, so we definitely have a problem with PFAS in, in Sweden. You mentioned already the PFAS movement. Can you talk more about what this movement is all about and what uh, it wants to achieve? Yeah, uh, so PFAS, uh, our PFAS movement, uh, is a network of companies uh, that want to phase out or have phased out PFAS uh, from their products. Uh, and we know from the experience we have had with, with previous uh, collaborations uh, that working together is very effective for companies if they want to achieve a better chemicals policy. For example, to have a common strategy for communication towards suppliers is very, very valuable in order to push the supply chain, especially in this case where there is no legislation. Uh, so uh, many of the suppliers don't want to change because there is no, they don't have any obligation. So it's much easier if a lot of company comes with the similar requirements. Uh, and we want to support these companies in, in the work uh, and we offer guidance. Uh, we have a lot of discussions. There is a lot of uh, forum or we want to be a forum for these companies to discuss uh, PFAS. And in many cases, um, even if the companies are large, there are quite a few people working on action on chemicals, for example. So there is a lot of interest to sort of finding this forum where they can discuss with other people in other companies regarding this, because that makes it much easier. Because we want to support the people working on sustainability, for example, to advance these issues within their own organizations, because that is usually also a, a, a large challenge for them. And, and ultimately, with the PFAS movement, we want to influence policymakers, 
And the, the powerful message that we can bring from the people's movement is to show that there are a lot of, there are many companies that want to phase out, that have phased out, and they have identified alternatives to PFAS, and they are already far ahead of the legislation. And that is a very powerful message that we can bring to the policymakers to influence them and show that we need a strict regulation regarding PFAS. Steps are being taken towards banning groups of chemicals. For example, five EU member states have started working on a universal PFAS restriction proposal, targeting all PFAS for all uses. But how realistic is such a ban? We ask Jonathan Claymark. Uh, yeah, I definitely think it's it's realistic. Uh, and I'm convinced that there will be a restriction on, on the use of PFAS. Uh, but of course, that restriction can be, can be very weak and full of exemptions, but it can also be very strong and, and very strict. Uh, and what we want to achieve is, to, of course, to have a strict regulation. Uh, and that's what we're working towards. Um, but as, as I guess you know, there is a lot of other stakeholders uh, working in the other uh, opposite direction. Uh, so there will be a lot of discussions and a lot of different battles going on uh, regarding what's happening and what the legislation actually will say. Uh, so I think we don't, there will definitely be a, a restriction, but what we don't na- know now is the sort of the extension of that restriction. How strict will it be? Uh, but I also, in this case, I also want to mention that uh, the, the threat of legislation that we're now talking about the PFAS restriction, that we now see that there will probably be a PFAS restriction is very important for companies and other organizations to start taking action because they know that if they wait until they actually have uh, legislation, then it's very problematic and they could be very expensive for them. Uh, so I think there is a great momentum for the PFAS issue. And I'm, I'm very confident that we will see a lot of positive things happening also in the meantime, up until we have a, a legislation concerning this. So these five EU member states are Denmark, Germany, the Netherlands, Norway and Sweden. Why do you think it's exactly these five countries who started working on this? I think that these countries are probably the most progressive companies within the EU regarding chemicals. Sweden and Denmark and also Netherlands is classical, very progressive. Uh, and Germany uh, is also um, very good on on trying to move the chemicals legislation within the EU. So I think that's the reason why these five countries is the ones behind this. And I also think that there was a need for them to be a lot of countries on such an important PFAS or such an important restriction because it means a lot of work and a lot of there will be a lot of feedback and a lot of pushback. Uh, so I think it, it was also necessary that they were several countries, not only one as it usually is. At Chemsec, we've been talking quite a few years that we want to regulate chemicals uh, as a group. So we want to talk about PFAS chemicals and we want to regulate them. Historically, we've been regulating one one chemical at a time, which takes a lot of time. It's slower and it's also very easy for companies to sort of switch to something that's very similar uh, in, in properties and then also similar in uh, talking about hazardousness. So I think this is, I mean, we're very happy at this approach. Then, of course, it will take longer time than uh, sort of if we've just regulated one PFAS chemical. Now we're regulating almost 5,000. That usually is the number we mention around uh, PFAS chemicals. So it will take a bit longer time to actually have a restriction. But as I said before, I think that the, the actual sort of work towards having a legislation will also mean that companies and other organizations will start looking at this and start working and start finding alternatives. So I think for For me, I think this is a definitely a step in the right direction. And it's also something we can see on other types of chemicals, like bisphenols, for example, and other. So we can have this regulation of families of substances instead. So, yes, I think this is definitely a step in the right direction. 
So you're optimistic. Yes, I'm. I'm optimistic. I'm definitely thinking. I think that the restriction will. It will be uh, mean that the companies already now will start thinking about this, and in the future it will hopefully mean that we will have a strict regulation regarding PFAS. So I'm optimistic. Yes. That's good to hear. Continue the good work, and thank you for taking your time to join this podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Very interesting to hear the constructive approach of Chemsec, which not only supports companies of which chemicals not to use, but also ones to use instead. And it's indeed positive to hear that companies actually show an interest in phasing PFAS out, which the PFAS movement illustrates. It's great that companies are taking action. However, legislation is still the best way to move the market. And the most effective way will be to regulate PFAS as a group, rather than one chemical at a time. Jonathan Claymark explains. This was the 16th episode of the podcast series Water X Future, presented by Aquaporn. Today, we talked about the PFAS problem, from Fanu to Flint. We've talked about the problems and the concerns regarding the pollution of our groundwater. But we've also talked about the solutions to the problems and that many companies are actually interested in finding alternatives. If you want to know more about sustainable and regenerative lifestyle, try the podcast Care More, Be Better. With topics spanning from regenerative agriculture to eliminating ubiquitous plastics from your life and reducing your carbon footprint, Care More, Be Better is focused on educating you about key issues, inviting you to care more so we can build a better future for all people and our home planet. That's all for now. In the next episode, we'll talk about the IWA, World Water Congress and Exhibition, the global event for water professionals covering the full water cycle, which this year takes place in Copenhagen. Also, we're constantly on the outlook to improve and develop our podcast. If you have any thoughts or theme suggestions, send Aquaporn a message on Facebook. If you like what you've been listening to, please send some stars our way. Rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be very grateful. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back soon.